Here's a thought. What if you woke up to find you'd won $20,000 every month for 20 years? Imagine the possibilities. Set for life from New South Wales Lotteries. Grab an entry in-store or online today. Welcome to the Far Post Perth, powered by Outside90.com. Hello, you're very welcome along to another edition of the Far Post Perth podcast in association with Outside90. My name is Neil Sherwin, and I'm joined by the dynamic duo of Blaine Trey Gold and Donna Jeffrey. Guys, welcome along. How you doing? How you going, guys? Good. Exciting times. We're at the very start of the five-month early golf season. <laughs> what do we do? It's depressing. MPL, Socceroos, we're going to have to go dig, dig for something to do in the meantime, I think. Yeah. Non-World Cup year, non-Euros, so we'll have to... Confederations is... Generations here, that'd be interesting. To see well, will, it, will it be interesting? Does anyone really I'm not care? sure if it'll be interesting, but it's football. It's true. To watch. true. That, that shows desperation, in, in my opinion. That, yeah. Yeah. Next, you'll be, yeah, next you'll be talking about the glamour friendly Sydney FC against Arsenal and <laughs> whatnot. Perth Glory versus Chelsea. That's not for a year. Oh. Is Perth Glory West Ham this year? Dead. Gone. Oh, it's gone. It's not happening. Apparently not. Okay, Apparently well. not. So we're yeah. going to have to fill, fill our time with something, but for now we're going to recap the um, the A-League Grand Final. We've got a couple of special guests on in the um, the other parts of the podcast, so make sure you stay tuned for that. All right, let's kick things off. Um, the A-League Grand Final took place at the weekend. Uh, it went to penalties. The the lottery, as idiots describe it. Uh, <laughs> Donna, you must be good at that Melbourne victory. Didn't claim the toilet seat. Yeah, I was... Um I was very sad, but very proud. But it it wasn't the best of games. But in the, we were completely going into it as underdogs, uh, which is very rare for our team. Uh, so how did that feel? Because you like you yeah, like to I give don't... it the big one, you yeah. know. Always the Man United of the A League, the people. It wasn't. It wasn't comforting. <laughs> but it was good. Same because... public standing as Man United <laughs> yeah. as well. That's how I see them anyway. Yeah, equally despisable. Yeah. <laughs> well, um, it was good because it was. Not that much pressure on us, more on Sydney to perform considering the season they just had. Disappointed, uh, obviously, with the result, but it is what it is. The best team of the year won. So if you see it that way, then... So the best team of the year won, and Blaine, that means we don't need to have finals. It just tells what we already knew. That's exactly right. <laughs> that's um, Yeah, that's what I've been banging on about for a little while. Um, being a traditionalist and all that, I, I really don't like the idea of finals when it comes to football. I don't mind it in other codes because I don't really care. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's the a Australian massive, way. It's a money say. grab essentially, yeah. and I've always been an advocate that when a decent cup competition gets up running, we just post that on the on the end. Yeah. Unfortunately, the FFA Cup doesn't make the FFA nearly as much money as the A League Grand Final. Uh, Forty-one thousand five hundred and forty-six. Little bit of a disappointing attendance, maybe, considering previous years we've. Well, that was more. capacity for Allianz because they moved everything in, wasn't yeah. it? So it was um, compared to other years, I think, because yep. what happens is the uh, SCG Trust and Allianz has members so similar to the MCG the does. MCG. Yep. So they get priority, or not priority, but they get entry on their membership and it's all a matter of whether they rock up or not. Yep. So deter- generally determines the figure um, overall. The atmosphere sounded fantastic on TV from both ends. Uh, yep. There was over 5,000 supporters that flew over as well. Flew over. It's an well, hour. Yes. It's an hour. Come Yay, on. Some, dr- some Come drove on. over. Eight hours of driving. 
Um, it's good to see Sydney FC have fans that, you know, just bought a shirt for the grand final and showed up for the day. It's interesting, isn't it, that you can have, <laughs> a, you know, have a... Um, they all seem to come out of the woodwork. It doesn't matter. It's not just Sydney FC. No, it's, no. It's, it's everywhere. It's across the board, but considering the year they had, their attendance wasn't exactly spectacular, but all of a sudden there was diehard Sydney FC fans. No, but you can see attending. why guys like uh, Scott Barlow and Pinata are a little bit apprehensive about having that third team yeah, in that Southern Corridor. Absolutely. Um, because there is a quite a bit of a base down there of Sydney FC fans. Mm-hmm. You start to take them away and you, st- you take 2,000 away, you, yeah. you're down to an average of you know eight 9,000. Absolutely. Okay, so the game itself was decided, as mentioned, on penalties. Uh, Besser Parisha got the Opening goal of the game before uh, Ryan Grant equalised on 69 minutes. I didn't see the game. Hold my hand up, I was playing football myself. I did see the penalties, I love penalties. But playing the game itself, you must have been delighted when uh, Bess Apparitia opened the scoring. Oh, I, I'll tell you what, I mean, I, I was in the uh, Elephant and Wilbur having a, having a beer with a few of the guys just... Uh, Recapping what could have been for our boys, but um, I tell you what, for a, as as a neutral, it was a fantastic game to watch. It was it was really quite because everyone I've spoken to afterwards said it was crap. It was no, intense. I, it was very it was intense. An intense game. I mean, there was something like fifty five, sixty fouls in the game. There was nine yellow cards, a seven, I think, at half time or something ridiculous. It was like crazy. That. It was they were going hammer and tongs at each other. So, I mean, from our point of view, it was great to just see Sydney People and Melbourne each just. Other. Go nuts at each other, yeah. Yeah, the first half was great. It was intense. It was very intense football. It wasn't the best quality, um, but that didn't matter because it was just end-to-end. Um, Victor just sticking it to Sydney. Then the goal, they went in at half-time up, and it was just second half came out, and Sydney were just a completely different squad. They weren't going to let it down. So, yeah, it was a bit scrappy because they were just taking each other down. It was, mate, there was some very, very cynical <laughs> Uh, I, I don't know how there wasn't a red in the game. Oh, we were sitting I. there counting down. Well, there was 60 fouls and 11 yellow cards. There you all. go. In 120 minutes, which yeah. is quite a lot. So, yeah. All right. Um, on, the, on to the penalties. Um, I've seen people complaining on Twitter. Penalties is an unfair way to decide a game. We should allow football to just continue until into infinity un, until someone scores. Golden goal. I Golden goal. That, I hated golden goal. <laughs> that was the thing. And then they went with silver goal, which was even worse. No, penalties are great. I don't care what anybody says. Penalties are my favourite thing about football. As long as it's not your team. Even if it's my team, I love it. I, nothing, oh, I nothing, in, nothing in football gets you as worked up. And we'll talk about it in the, in the, in the next part of the show with one of our guests. But pe- nothing gets you more worked up as a football fan than a penalty shootout. Because you know what's coming. You know some there's heartbreak coming for somebody. You know it could be one of your team or it could be the other team that makes a balls of it. You, you know that it has to happen. Because the penalty shootout will keep going until somebody makes a balls of it or makes a great save. And you, you're apprehensive about whether that's your team or the other team. I don't think any other, um, any other aspect of football invokes such, uh, such drama and such theatre as penalty shootout. And I love it. I, I think this should stay forever. Oh, I'm, I'm quite happy to see it go like that. I mean... The, the, the notion that we keep playing and this and that and then there was talk a few years oh, ago God, about no. oh let's remove a player at every five minute yeah. interval and oh. <laughs> you know mate, let's just, just play five day you know cricket test and you know yeah. for it to end in a draw you know what I mean like uh, penalties uh, there, I there couldn't no watch I, I was literally just like looking into my scarf just like 
Just, I could not watch the penalties. So you didn't see um, Valeri hit the bar? I saw Rojas's miss, but Valeri's I didn't actually see because I was just like, he's going to miss, he's going to miss. And I just had this horrible feeling and then he missed. And I was devastated. <laughs> there's misses and then there's saves. They're two different things. So I wouldn't I wouldn't even classify Rojas's as a miss because he did hit the target. If the keeper dives the wrong way, it's a great penalty. As as happens in, in, in every every time somebody scores, you put it away. If the keeper dives the right way and makes a save, and in fairness to Vukovic, it was a fantastic one-handed stop uh, to keep it out. It's a great it has to go down as a great save rather than a miss for me. Oh, it was a fantastic save. It was a fantastic save, but mind you, it wasn't the best of pens. It was a tired no, penalty. No, it wasn't. Rojas was, oh, absolutely. He was out Rojas should have been subbed. Yeah. Yeah. Should have come off. Should not have been allowed him, to take uh, a penalty. Yeah, Mitch Austin coming on for him. Yeah. Right, but at least he did hit the target on like um, Valeria. Like which I've seen the Wilkin, replay. Wilkinson, who put his wide. Yeah. <laughs> so you, you don't give the keeper the opportunity <laughs> to save the ball if you stick it wide. Yeah. So Yeah, Wilco's was quite a miss. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was it was fairly poor. All right, so the best team over the course of the yeah. season one, they claimed the title. Great, they get to do the double. Um, the A League website has put out its team of the season. They did do it in slide format, so I have gone through the slides <laughs> so you don't have to. It's my public service duty for this week. There's 21 slides, trust me, it, it, it's tedious. All right, so the team they've gone for, uh, I'll just read it out quickly. They've got Vukovic and Goal, a back four of Grant. Jakobsen of Melbourne City, Alex Wilkinson and Michael Zullo. So uh, four out of the five there are Sydney FC. Midfield, Brandon O'Neill and James Troisi. And then a front four, whichever way you want to set them up, of Milos Ninkovic, Diego Castro, Jamie McLaren and Bessar Parisha. On the bench, they've gone for Paul Izzo, Alex Brosk, Ninko Martinez, Marco Rojas, Josh Briante, uh, Bruno Fornaroli, Bobo and Jade North with Graham Arnold as the coach. Anyone in there that you, or anyone that's not in there, you think could have been in there? No, I mean, it's very Sydney FC-centric, and when you win the league by 17 points, you, you're going to dominate a side like that, in my opinion. Um, um, James Troisi, so, like, he had a good year, right? But I was just looking up something right now, and um, Tony Ising, who was one of the guys that started up um, El Victory, he put up a stat about James, and it was 94 shots on goal, and he's only scored six goals this season. Not many of his... He was quite lacklustre throughout the season. He had a really good peak when both him and Rojas were on point and then he just went flat. He seems to... So... Um, <laughs> he seems to crap his stacks quite a bit. Yeah, at the he goes missing. Stage, he, he'll beat two players, have a shot on, <laughs> and then just skied into row Z. And it's happened multiple times. We could have easily won by four to five goals if he actually knew how to score a goal. So I'm a bit um, surprised that he was picked... That was the only one, and that's coming from your supporter. And Is that I feel really bad. That, no, that's the A League. That's the A League. Yeah. yeah. So who's, who's picking that? Is that the players? I have no idea. I think presumably it's just whoever was um, on duty that day. Right. Okay. Uh, and then um, <laughs> the work experience kid was in <laughs> probably. Um, the only one that that's missing that I may have considered. Uh, he did have an injury for a spell, so maybe that counted against me. Brett Holman. But he was excellent for uh, for Roar throughout the season. Scored some nice goals. Um, he really picked it up during the yeah. End I, th- of the I thought season. he was because a lot of people were on his back before he'd even kicked the ball for Roar last year. You know, so I, I think he um, he went about his business quietly and efficiently, and thought he was he was very good. And maybe he didn't deserve to, to knock out some of those other players, but he was a, for me it was um, he was probably a surprise this season that he actually did as well as he did. Sometimes players can come back at the, his age having not played a lot of football in recent years. 
and uh, and flopped. And I don't I certainly don't think he flopped. I thought he was a very important player for. Who was the reserve keeper then? Izzo. Paul Izzo. Jesus. But uh, I know Reddy. Reddy could have. Yeah, Reddy, Reddy could have so been I... a shout there. All right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Reddy had a great season with not much of a defence in front of him with a very. No. Yeah, he did. Over. But I'm just shocked with Izzo. Like I yeah, mean, no disrespect to him, but yeah. that's a big call to put him as the second best keeper in the league. Okay. Yeah, there you go. All right, we'll uh, wrap up part one there and uh, and come back with the first of our special guests. You're listening to the Farmhouse Perth, powered by Outside90.com. Okay, welcome back to the second part of the Fire Post per- Podcast. As, as promised, we have special guests lined up today. And the first one, delighted to be joined by, by Perk Glory CEO, Peter Philopoulos. Peter, how are you? Yeah, can't complain. Can't complain. We're just, uh, we've just been briefly discussing what we're going to do with the next five months. Um, now that there's no A-League for us to, to bitch and moan about and... We've got to fill our, vo- our void somehow. I presume you've got plenty to keep you going, but is there any rest period coming up for you guys? Um, uh, we've uh, been planning like a few weeks, business planning, and obviously we're uh, planning our list at the moment with Kenny and Jacob and what we're going to do moving forward. And you know, a lot of that will be revealed in the coming days as well, uh, what we can reveal at this stage. And so it's pretty exciting. I think. Uh, you know, uh, we've, we've uh, finished uh, another season. I think it comes to an end on, on Saturday at our MGP. But, you know, I love, I love to try to make the new season. Um, I love to get excited about it. I love to also, you know, uh, use the platform to, to get better. And uh, that's, that's the football club we are. That, you know, we're not, uh, we're not overly celebrating successes on and off the park. We just want to continually get better. And we know what, what we need to do. So, uh I think uh, the growth of the park is, is pretty uh, is pretty evident. You know, we had uh, uh, good growth in membership and, and crowds. Our TV audiences are up, so our membership is up. Um, so we're pretty excited about what's going on off the park, and uh, you know, we're only going to get better. And on the park, we uh, you know we, we would have to say that uh, you know that we probably didn't end up. Yeah, on the ladder at the end of the home and away season where we wanted to do. So, you know, you'd have to say that we, we didn't perform as expected, if you like. But, you know, to get a semi-final berth was good, which gives us a taste of what we can achieve. Um, and uh, that's what we're sending our eyes upon. Everybody knows that you guys have done such great work off the field um, throughout the course of the season. I guess maybe it's... It, it, Possibly a bad time that the season has ended now, given the momentum that you've had. Given that there's so many sports to compete with at this time of year, and there's potential for a case of out of sight, out of mind for some people. Is there is there anything planned over the off season to maybe try and keep Perth Glory in people's minds? Yeah, no, we're, we're, we're looking at some international friendlies. We're not going away for a pre-season this year. Uh, overseas, like what we did last year, we're going to keep it local. Uh, we're in discussions, uh, embryonic discussions at the moment about an international friendly here in Perth. Um, not, not with a significant opposition, but 
you know, someone that knows anyway. And uh, uh, of course, we want to, you know, uh, I think in August uh, the FFA Cup commences in early August. End of July, uh, start of August, the FFA Cup. So uh, in July, we want to hold this international friendly game if we can put it off. And the most competitive pre-season training on 1 July. So that sort of, a lot will happen, like, you know, we've just got to get through May and June, and I think in July, you know, a lot, you'll see a lot of the, a lot of the activity uh, get started and, um, you know, with the boys here, here on, the, on the ground. Yeah, Peter, Blaine here, mate. Um, obviously, we heard some um, some news a couple of weeks ago about the on- ongoing negotiations between the A-League clubs and the owners and the FFA. Um, just wonder if you can give us more any insight into how that's progressing. Oh, look, there's a lot going on in that space, Blaine. It's a good question. It's, uh, I, I would say that, you know, Australian football, uh, I've always been honest in answering questions like this, and I don't judge that's the hard questions. It's still a set of traffic lights right now. You know, you have to say football is uh, sitting at a, at a intersection with the lights, uh, you know, on amber for way too long, you know, and uh, there's a lot of fundamental decisions the sport needs to make. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't think at the moment we've made a lot of progress in that regard. So, you know, obviously we've got the whole governance structure of the, of the sport and FIFA involved as well. I mean, that's, uh, on, that's part of the back burner for, for November. So that's a big discussion around the boardroom table. The only owners, I, I no secret, they're not, they're not satisfied with the operating model, which sees most of the clubs being unsustainable under the current operating model. And, you know, uh, simply put, you know, that uh, you know, when you look at the PL, when you extract the profit and loss of the A League away from everything else the FFA does, seventy-five percent of the revenue that the FFA generates is A League revenue, A League um, uh, you know A League specific attributable revenue and only twenty five percent comes back into the A League clubs. And A League owners are saying pretty much that we you know we're not prepared to wear any losses. Uh, in, in, so that we, you know, pretty much fund every other aspect of the sport. But at the same time, the owners don't want all the revenue. That's not a fair share of the revenue going back into the A League, so we can invest in the right areas. Because you know, in the last few years, we've, uh, we've been asked to do a lot more than we've been in the past. We now run a women's team, we run a, a junior academy. They've just announced the closure of the Centre of Excellence in Canberra, where they saved one point six million dollars. But none of that money flowing through back to the clubs. So now pretty much running the Centre of Excellence. talking about how players are announcing their departures while you're still in season and so forth. What are your thoughts on players doing that before season comes to an end? He wasn't very happy with it. He said that if players are thinking of it, they should wait till season end and discuss it internally instead of going, well, you know, going to the press and rumours and whatnot. What are your thoughts on that? Do you join Muskie's belief on that department? Yeah, I do. Uh, yeah, Muskie and I have spoken about that and we're pretty much aligned. And uh, he was pretty sympathetic about what we were going through 
with the Reese Williams saga in January when uh, we interfered, unfortunately, in a matter that we could have been resolved in house. But, uh, you know, look, I'm not happy about it. I, I, I particularly, I'm not happy about certain intermediaries or agents, if you like. Um, since FIFA uh, abolished the accreditation system for, for agents, we're, we're dealing with uh, all sorts of different uh, agents with uh, you know, various degrees of morals and ethics and the way they go about business. And, uh, you know, I've been very vocal at FFA um, to lobby FIFA to reintroduce the accreditation system. So we are, you know, getting uh, some parameters and framework around the way uh, agents conduct themselves. You know, because these agents ultimately do give across the players and, you know, and, and at times over the last few months, I think what Musk has been referring to is that agents are announcing that the, the, the you know, future moves of players well before clubs have had the opportunity to, to do so. So we're pretty much aligned with that and I think there's got to be a level of respect between clubs and, and agents definitely. You know, we haven't had a good year with, with agents as well, so uh, that's because... We, we, we stand our ground and protect the club and the, and the club can look after each other's interests as well. Absolutely. And there was talks um, rumouring around that Danny De Silva was going to be coming back to Perth. Have you heard anything of that or is that literally just a rumour? Yeah, look, uh, Danny's, uh, Danny's uh, is still um, contracted over there to Rota. The loan agreement that we entered into is still alive and, and uh, in force until July. But we're not too sure what uh, Danny's uh, intentions are moving forward. Uh, he has been in Perth. He's had a bit of osteitis pubis injury that's been uh, treated by our physios. Whether he uh, ends up back in Perth or somewhere else uh, is, uh, you know, something that we can't really uh, reveal at the moment. We're not too sure of his intentions. Of course. Obviously, the free-to-air uh, deal uh, negotiations are going on at the moment. Um, from a WA perspective, obviously, we probably have a little bit of a different view of things from the East Coast. Um, what's your views on that from a, from a Perth perspective and from, a, from the WA kind of time slot? Okay, time zone is the broadcast. Yeah, well, obviously, we're in a different market on a different time zone and that kind of thing. Do, you, do we have any kind of sway in any kind of negotiations? Are we taken into consideration when, when these decisions yeah. are made? In my time here, I've pretty much championed that inside the inside the daylight savings period, we want to make Saturday evenings a seven pm kickoff our time slot, um, and and out that which means that from a broadcast perspective in the east, that's a ten o'clock kickoff, um, and outside the daylight saving window, which is primarily October and April, we're, we're pretty much uh, happy to play on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon at four or five o'clock. So that's the strategy we're pushing forward with. We're going to try and make Saturday night our fixture because we do have some unique circumstances around the heat here in WA. And I think in the past, we've seen Perth playing, you know, two o'clock, three o'clock kickoffs in blaring sun. And, you know, and obviously, as you know, that's not, a, it's not an attractive opposition for fans to, to come to a football game at so early in, you know, blaring heat of 40 degrees. So. That's a strategy that we keep on pushing that 7 o'clock, 7 o'clock uh, time slot to make it our own. And Peter, just your thoughts on um, the growth of football in, as a whole in WA. Um, it's, it's definitely not the number one game, as we all know, but there's been great strides made by a lot of clubs at grassroots level. But one of the big debates is around junior fees and the amount of money that, that kids are having to play to, to join so-called elite MPL clubs. Um, do you think that something needs to be worked out to make it more affordable, uh, or should 
should should parents and not be adverse to going to maybe more community based clubs who don't charge as much, but who are also actually getting accredited coaches, for example. Well, you see, you see, something that I'm pretty passionate about is during the fees. Look, you know, and I'm, I'm a father. Uh, I'm just not a minister, and I'm a father of a you know young boy playing here at Perth Soccer Club. And one of the reasons why I chose Perth Soccer Club is because they demarcate their junior fees away from the senior fees, so they've got a, a sort of different governance structure. Um, and, uh, and, and 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 the fees in the WA are way more reasonable than what they are in Melbourne and in uh, and in Sydney, where you're paying for an NPL team, uh, you know, from under 12, you're paying upwards of $2,200. Um, I think the fees here in WA are uh, pretty reasonable still, um, you know, because you are getting several, you know, pretty, you know, strong training sessions a week um, and you're in an in a, in a elite environment. So I understand we've got to charge some fees. My bigger issue is that we're in some cases, and I'm not accusing anyone in particular, but it's easy for someone to to uh, perceive that some junior fees fund, you know, very expensive senior teams. And that's one thing I think that the FFA and the, and the state federations have got to really look into is that they're ensuring that we're demarcating uh, junior fees that parents are paying and they remain in the junior system so we're investing in the, in the infrastructure and the resources and the coaches and the technical direction that these kids are, take, are getting rather than with this money being siphoned off into the senior teams to pay for inflated senior team wages. So that's where I think the bigger issue is in my, in my honest opinion. Uh, but I, I also think that we need to ensure that we're not spiralling these junior fees out of control. I think the WA in all honesty, you know, I, I think within reason that I have uh, issues around, uh, you know, Victoria and uh, New South Wales where, you know, they are paying $2,200 and some of these clubs that are doing that who are NPL teams, um, you know, they're not really channeling, they're not really getting uh, a lot of the talent coming through to their senior teams anyway because they're always recruiting uh, from outside their own environment every year, so... Yeah, yeah, not a spot on. Just want to get your thoughts because, as you say, you're both an administrator and a parent, so you've, you're kind of coming at it from two angles uh, and can see both sides of the coin. So, yeah, yeah, that's great. Uh, I think Blaine has one more question, then I have one more, and then we'll let you go. Yeah, mate, just one last one from me, mate. The question that everyone wants to know: Will our uh, number seventeen, yeah, Glory seventeen, Big Diego Castro, will he stay here next year, Pete? Can you give us any insight on that? Uh, yeah, look, uh, we're hoping so, um, and we're trying to live away at the moment with his family, you know, so he's back uh, on Friday, uh, and we'll meet with him again on Friday and Saturday, um, and look, it, it could be announcing something as early as Saturday night at the MGP, I'm not sure yet, mate, depending on how those discussions are going, but they're ongoing, but they're not dead. Last question for me, Peter, and then we'll we'll let you get back to uh, the kids' football. Um, Glory absolutely nailed it this year, as far as I'm concerned, with their kits. Uh, the heritage kit we went down a storm with fans. Uh, I bought one myself. I think it's great. I also love the yellow and black away kit. Uh, Macron have done a great job. Uh, my question for you, though, is first of all, can we expect? New kits for next season, and secondly, how do you plan to top those two? Okay, we're well, definitely going to have a brand new home and a race trip next year, which is pretty exciting. And uh, for the first time, you know, something I've driven is I want the home strip to have a correlation to the race strip, so you know, they inverse if you like. 
Um, so we'll, we'll review those at some point during the off-season. I've seen them. They look pretty good. But I, I think they're probably the best, one of the best trips we've ever had. Um, and I'm hoping the fans will really like it as well once we reveal them. But we've put a lot of energy into, into this particular strip. Um, and we, we pushed hard the Macron International Office to you know, give us the best possible design around what we want to achieve. But uh, I think, and I'm pretty confident, the fans will love this one. Well, if, it's, if, it, if you say it's better than the Heritage Kit, then it must be good. Uh, Peter, thanks. You've been very good with your time. Appreciate the... Uh, the, uh, the, taking the questions and having a chat and uh, yeah enjoy a few days off I'm sure before the MGP and then no doubt you'll be straight back into it thanks a lot no worries guys I just want to say Blaine great blog the other day on the outside night I enjoyed reading on that oh, and, worries, uh, don't give us too big of a grade because we've got lots of work to do so until we get that A-League uh, A-League Championship trophy uh, you know we're working hard here, so good to see the way you like that article Good on you, Peter. Thanks, mate. Appreciate it. Have a good night, Peter. See you later, guys. Thank you. Welcome back. It's the Farpost Perth, powered by Outside90.com. Welcome back to the uh, the final long part of the Far Post Per podcast. We have another special guest on the phone. Uh, delighted to be joined by ex-Perth person and current Sydney FC A-League champion, Brandon O'Neill. Brandon, thanks for having a chat with us. No, you're more than welcome. Always welcome. Great. Great to hear. How, how have the uh, recovery recovery's been going? <laughs> yeah, it's been going all right. We've, um, as you can tell by my voice, we uh, celebrate. Um, a lot, which is uh, which is definitely due after the season uh, that we've had. And, um, yeah, so we've we've had a few days now where we we've, we've got together as a team and um, yeah, just really celebrated what we've achieved. It hasn't really kind of sunk in yet. Um, the the season we've had and what we've actually done, but um, I think uh, we have our end of season team team uh, function on Friday, and then after that, I think we'll have the weekend just to relax and unwind and yeah really sit back and just think about uh, yeah what we've achieved yeah brandon blaine here mate um obviously um fantastic season uh one loss um taking out the premier's plate uh going on to win the championship mate in your opinion what was the key to to the success for the side this year and i think it's it's really important to to, to be a good team and a good club and more importantly to be a championship winning team Obviously, you need to have good players, and, and every team around the world always has that. They, they always have good players, but to win something, you need to have good people. You need to have good, actual good people that want to look out, want to look out for everyone, and all want to strive towards the, the the main goal. And and that was that was our key this year. We had every single player, whether it was in the starting eleven to the people on the bench to the people that were playing the youth team. They all wanted the same thing and they all wanted to be crown champions and um, it was just fitting on the weekend that everyone that had, had worked so hard this year um, all got to be a part of it and, and we all uh, finally celebrated what we wanted to achieve. Brandon, obviously it was a huge year for you personally. What was the difference for you going from Perth Glory to Sydney with your personal growth? Um, I, I think when I was in Perth... Um, it was it was a bit of a it was a bit of a case where I'd be I'd be training and 
not only myself, but a lot of the young boys down there would be training and working hard. But for some reason or another, we'd, we'd come to match day and we'd always know where we'd be. We'd, we'd never be in the squad. And I think when coming to Sydney, um, working under Graham, he, he treats you on your values and your morals. And if you are training well and you are working as hard as you can, he'll always give you a chance. He, he loves playing youth. He loves promoting youth. And if you if you have the trust of a manager, you can always do something in a game and you can always do a job for your coach at the game. And um, I think that was just the biggest thing, having, having that trust and having having the confidence to go out there and, and do what he asks. And, he, and you know that he's backing you 100%. Um, yeah, it was, I, I can't speak higher of Graham. Sounds like you need a soother there, Brandon, after all the <laughs> screaming. <laughs> I, I, I'm... I'm sipping on um, a water at the moment just to try to get <laughs> try to get a bit of liquid down, but yeah, my throat's never not very good at the moment. Hey, just on to the game itself because you've had a lot of highs this season. People remember the free kick in the the derby against Western Sydney, but to step up in a penalty shootout. Now I'm sure there's a, a fair few people listening here that have been part of penalty shootouts at. at Sunday league level, amateur level, semi-pro level, where you're playing in front of a man and his dog, and and to be honest, I've done it myself, and you shit yourself going up to take a penalty, even with that few people watching. You know, it's 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 the fear of missing, the fear of being the person that everybody talks about, the fear of having the piss taken out of you by your mates for eternity. You had to go and do it in front of over forty thousand people. Do you get those similar feelings? Is it is there a fear of missing, or is it pure confidence in your ability to just step up and stick it away? Oh, of course, you you're only human if you're uh, if you get them feelings because it's yeah, there's a lot of pressure on you, and there's there's always that thought of God, if I miss if I miss here, I'm dead, or if I miss here, my man's gonna kill me. You know, you know, <laughs> similar similar feelings to that. And it was it was actually quite funny. All my family was in the stands. And, as I was walking up to take that penalty, all I kept thinking about was me. My ma's probably crying at the moment because she's that nervous of me walking up and actually saying that. So that kind of it kind of relaxed me actually walking up, kind of having a joke and a laugh in, in my own head, just saying, "God, I wonder how my ma's feeling." But um, I, I placed the ball down, and I always knew where I was going. And, and that's a, I think that's a, a massive thing. If if you if you don't change your mind, you pick your spot and you hit it with power. As long as you hit it with power and get it on target, you've always a chance. And um, yeah, just thankfully enough, I was I was calm enough just to step up. And um, yeah, it was it was good when Lawrence Thomas went the other way, and you see that ball fly in the back of the net. It's, yeah, there's no better feeling. And is that is that something you volunteered for? You know, do you put your hand up and say, "Yeah, I want to take one," or you know, yeah. given that you take set pieces, are you told, "Listen, you're good with a dead ball. You're doing this." Yeah, no. After extra time, um, assistant coach Steve Crocky came round and. And pretty much asked uh, everyone if they wanted to take one or not, and um, I just thought that I was I was capable enough and confident enough that I could step up and deliver. And so I put my hand up, and yeah, I was I was picked as number four, and um, yeah, now <laughs> now the rest is history. We're A League champions. You don't have to name names, but did anyone not want to take one? Is that is that something you, you see at, at professional level? You know, players just they say, look, it, it's just not for me. Yeah, people do say that. People come up and when we, when we have our team conversation before penalties, people you can tell the people straight away that that don't want to do it. They, sh- they kind of shrug their their body language is facing downwards, their heads down, and and you just leave them because that's that's who they are. That's that's a situation 
that they're in and if they don't want to take one you, you never force someone to take a penalty you kind of you have to bring it upon yourself to do it and um, the five lines that were chosen to take one um, for Sydney all put their hand up and all wanted to which was which kind of for everyone else in the situation makes everyone feel confident that the people that have <coughs> kind of put their hand up to take the penalties will score because they're confident in themselves so just getting the win obviously is great and, and the whole lot, but you got to do it in front of the Sydney FC supporters as well. Who, you know, they've they've had a great season. They've they've been spoiled to an extent. You know, it's it's a great year when the team you support only loses one game throughout the course of it and wins everything in front of them. It, it, does that then create an even bigger bond between you as players and the supporters, which you can then take into next season and Asian Champions League and whatnot? Yeah, look, it's always a fear and it's it's always a thought in your in your mind, but. It was quite funny after the game, we, we were talking just as a team and we were laughing and joking, saying next year we're going to win the league, the Asian Champions League in the FA Cup. So that just kind of tells you the confidence and the belief that the players have at the moment that after a grand final win, we're already looking towards what we can achieve next year and we've got three massive three massive opportunities next year to, to win everything. And um, the, the kind of way we've gone about things this year... Um, we, we want we want everything. We want bigger and better things, and and we won't stop until we get it. So um, yeah, I, I can't personally. I can't wait to get back into things already. And um, it's only been a couple of days after the grand final, but we have the Asian Champions League, the league, and the cup next year. All to look forward to. And uh, yeah, like I said after the game, we, we all spoke and we we want to win all three. Yeah, Brandon, obviously coming from uh, little old Perth and WA over here, um, as, as we do, um, we're not really exposed to the type of um, culture and maybe pressure and so on and so forth, mate. In terms of derbies, what's it like, obviously, coming from Perth and playing in a massive, big, big city derby like that? Yeah, it was, um, oh, it was uh, first of all, an unbelievable experience to, to be lucky enough to play in a derby. Um, and secondly, it's a, it's, it's a totally different culture shock. It's kind of going from Australian soccer to kind of the, a European-style game. There's there's chanting, there's flares, there's people kind of yelling abuse at you. Um, they're getting threats left, right and centre from Western Sydney Wanderers fans. <laughs> and, and you've got to deal with all. And, and it's kind of a, a, similar to leagues in Europe where... The, the derbies and the, the football matches are, are people's lives, their livelihoods. So, um, oh, it's, a, it, it's just an outstanding occasion to, to be able to play in, in such big games. And um, I'm, I'm just very lucky and I, I kind of hold myself very humble to the fact that being able to be given this opportunity to, to play for such a, a massive club and to play in these massive games. Because um, people, people don't understand we're just normal people as well. We're, we're, we're just normal normal lads that work for a living but we're just very lucky in the sense that we can we can we can be a footballer for, for our profession so I, I definitely definitely don't take anything for granted that's for sure uh, Brandon obviously um, going into the grand final you guys were the clear favorites which was undeniable what was going through your mind half time when victory were up one nil and they came out the game was very intense for myself and a lot of even neutrals it was a very intense game what was going through your mind and the players minds at half time when you were down one nil thinking okay they came to play yeah well 
hats off to Melbourne Victory. They made us. They made it very tough for us in the first half. Um, but they definitely had a game plan. Um, it didn't really evolve revolve too much around playing football. It was all about getting the ball as long as possible and kicking and fighting and seeing if they can throw for obviously off us at our game. We went in at half time and um, again this is kind of a, a sign of a championship when the team is every player, every coach, staff member was calm. No one showered, no one kind of flickered because we were we were confident in, in our second half ability. And if it went to extra time, we were even more confident. Just to the fact that we've we've always been a very a very good finishing team. We've finished hard in, in the majority of the games this year. We we always run out ninety minutes, and um, we we were confident that the more and more Mel Victory tried to do that, the more they tire. And if they were tired, we were only we were only getting fitter and stronger. And, and hopefully, people saw that in, in the second half when we when we actually started to play a really good football, space open. And, and we could have and probably should have won won the game in normal time. So um, there was there was a sense of calmness and a sense of, uh, of quiet confidence that we knew going into the second half we we would outrun them, outfight them, and, and finally outplay them. Brandon, one more question for me, and then we'll uh, we'll let you go. Um, no problem. It's, it's regarding international football. You've had a little bit of exposure. I'm sure you know what's coming here. You had a little bit of exposure at under 23 level with Australia, um, yeah. but the door hasn't officially closed on Ireland. If Martin O'Neill was to come knocking, would you have a decision to make? Oh, I'd jump at it, Neil. I'd absolutely jump at it. If, if Martin O'Neill came knocking, or Antoine Coglu, either of them, if, if they were ever to come knocking, I'd be extremely humbled because it's an absolute honour to represent either either country because both countries have given me personally and myself uh, and my family, sorry, um, so much. So if, if I was ever lucky to, to receive a phone call from one of them, uh, one of them uh, coaches, I'd jump in a, <laughs> in, in a heartbeat. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd never say no to either or because the... the Opportunity hasn't presented itself yet, but if it ever was to, um, it'd be uh, it'd be a very good decision uh, to have to make. So it's basically the highest bidder at the moment. That sounds good. Whoever, whoever offers exactly the best right. Bid. You'll if get a spot back so sitting on the fence, Brandon. Exactly right. If Man O'Neill and Pascal, you want to give me a call, uh, no problem at all. <laughs> just, just have a season the way you did this year, mate. I don't think you'll have any problems next year. <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh, I will, we'll let you go on that now. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, enjoy the, the bit of a break, although I'm sure you'll, you've still got plenty more celebrating to do over the next few days with the awards night coming up as well. And, uh, yeah, thanks for having a chat and good luck with everything else. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us, guys. Speak to you. Thank Cheers. you, Bye. Thanks for listening to the Far Post Perth, powered by Outside90.com. Here's a thought. What if you woke up to find you'd won $20,000 every month for 20 years? Imagine the possibilities. Set for life from New South Wales Lotteries. Grab an entry in-store or online today.